Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast to bring you insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello, everyone, and happy spring. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering investments in resiliency and mitigation, the work underway in Congress to highlight the need for stronger infrastructure, plus marijuana legislation, the newly reintroduced bills to protect insurers involved with cannabis businesses, and risk-based pricing legislation. NAMIC's Aaron Collins reviews the regulatory and legislative implications of equity and insurance moves around the country. But first, in the nation's capital, two bills designed to protect insurers involved with cannabis businesses have been reintroduced in Congress after failing to pass last year. NAMIC and several other insurance trade associations recently sent letters in support of the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act and the Clarifying Law Around Insurance of Marijuana Act. The Claim Act focuses on providing a comprehensive safe harbor for insurers that engage with legitimate cannabis-related businesses and consumers. Language from the Claim Act was included in the House-passed version of the Safe Banking Act last year and is again included in the version that was just reintroduced. Both pieces of legislation would help work toward resolving the competing federal and state laws concerning the legalization of cannabis and offer legal certainty to those involved across the supply chain, including property casualty insurers. NAMIC will work to advance the Safe Banking Act as the primary legislative vehicle, but the presence of the Claim Act as standalone legislation will help keep a spotlight on the issues the insurance industry is facing in the cannabis space. A hearing focused on the benefits of investing in resilience and mitigation highlighted the work of the NAMIC-led Build Strong Coalition. NAMIC has worked closely with members of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittee on Economic Development, Public Buildings and Emergency Management ahead of the hearing to express the importance of policies designed to give communities more tools to invest in mitigation and resilient construction. Subcommittee Chair Dina Titus highlighted the work of the Build Strong Coalition in her opening statement, during which a few constant themes emerged including the power of mitigation and resilient construction to better protect homes and infrastructure. We know that when homes, businesses, and other infrastructure are built stronger from the get-go or are built back stronger following disasters, they're less likely to be seriously damaged during future events. That ability to bounce back faster is a measure of their resilience. NAMIC and the Build Strong Coalition are currently working with the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee on the Resilient America Act. The new legislation would bring tools and incentives for state and local adoption and enforcement of modern building codes, increase mitigation and building resilient infrastructure and communities program funding, build state and local capacity, and create investments in resilient lifeline infrastructure. President Joe Biden has nominated Deanne Criswell to head the Federal Emergency Management Agency. 
If confirmed later this week on March 25th, Criswell will be the first woman to lead the agency. She is currently the commissioner of the New York City Emergency Management Department and previously worked for FEMA under the Obama administration. The Build Strong Coalition has sent a letter in support of Criswell's nomination. Well, one of the federal government's main efforts to push Americans to prepare for climate threats is now in question after the Senate Majority Leader's Office objected to a plan to adjust flood insurance rates. The New York Times reports FEMA was preparing to announce new rates for federal flood insurance next week so that the prices people pay would more accurately reflect the risks they face. The change would very likely help reduce Americans' vulnerability to floods and hurricanes by discouraging construction in high-risk areas. But it would also increase insurance costs for some household, making it a tough sell politically. Last week, the office of Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, the Democratic majority leader, pushed back on those changes, saying that it would raise costs for some of his constituents. And that led FEMA to pause the rollout of the new rates. With dozens of bills targeting underwriting restrictions currently making their way through state legislatures, NAMIC advocates are hard at work to educate lawmakers on why risk-based pricing works. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness talks with NAMIC's Vice President of State Affairs, Aaron Collins, about the regulatory and legislative implications of equity and insurance moves around the country. Well, today we're joined by one of our superstar advocates, Aaron Collins. Aaron, thanks for joining us today and welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be back. Well, we have many things we could talk about here, but uh, let me start with this one. And it was, uh, it goes back a year, right before the pandemic began. You testified before Congress on a bill that would block insurers from factoring in a consumer's credit history when selling auto or when setting auto rates. The PAID Act, uh, that bill that you testified on last year, very effectively, I might add, has been reintroduced this year, and now the activity is much more pronounced at the state level as well on these same issues. So can you give us a little a sense of how widespread the activity is on, on these issues that are captured in the PAID Act, and uh, what about in the regulator community? Sure, happy to, um, and, and thanks uh, for the question. And and yes, we are seeing it both, uh, again, at, at a separate level and again, uh, at the state level, you know, these conversations about risk-based pricing aren't really anything uh, new to our industry. We certainly have had a lot of conversations for a very long time in the state. You know, insurance isn't always intuitive in terms of its science. That's what makes it science, right? And so we spend a lot of time talking with policymakers, legislators, regulators, talking about how insurance works and how products work. And, uh, you know, over the, over the years, certainly that conversation um, has, been, has been one that's been um, vigorous, but it's, it's always been science-based and one that policymakers come to understand and, and they get, right? Um, but what we're seeing is sort of a shift in that conversation. So it is widespread. We've, we're seeing dozens of bills in the state but it's not exactly the same in terms of the conversation that's, that's happening. We still have uh, the same old legislation that we've seen, you know, year after year to ban or restrict individual underwriting and rating tools that the industry uh, utilizes to match rate to risk. 
And certainly we've been able to have that conversation again uh, with policymakers about the science behind it, why it's important to match rate to risk. But there's also this conversation happening uh, both in the states and in the regulator community as well, that sort of this wholesale um, change uh, or concept of change in underwriting itself, uh, the, the underpinning of it. And what I mean by that is there are some voices and some advocates in the community that, that are arguing that insurance really shouldn't be risk-based, um, that it shouldn't be about matching rate to risk, that it should be about outcomes and you know what, what individuals are impacted by uh, the outcome of using a risk-based tool or risk-based pricing in general. And that's not a new conversation uh, to our community at MAMEC. We've been having that conversation for, for many years uh, in terms of our activity in the, in the HUD case and HUD space. Um, but that conversation is now happening a lot uh, in the states. And so, again, articulating the, the necessity and the inherent fairness of a risk-based pricing system is how we're approaching it. Um, but it's definitely a different uh, situation and different tenor than we've seen in the past. Yeah, so maybe um, take a step back because uh, NAMIC has made some very significant uh, investments in kind of the tools you're using um, related to giving you a better ability to explain to lay people, policymakers, uh, how insurance works, uh, including my favorite paper of recent months, which is uh, Tony Cotto's Why Insurance Costs What It Does, I think is the title, a very literal title. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about how we prepared for these bills at the state level and maybe a little bit about that toolkit that we put together using uh, a lot of research background, academic studies, uh, et cetera, to make people understand how our industry operates. Sure, yeah, happy to. Um, it, it's really been a, a full-throated effort uh, at NAMIC and, and one that we've collaborated with the entire industry uh, towards engaging. And, um, you know, it's, it's a multi-pronged effort. So you mentioned um, Tony's great paper. We've, we've gotten a lot of use out of that and, and helping us to have the conversations about how insurance works, uh, what it does, and we have additional research measures in that in that research bracket. We have a, a paper by uh, Dr. Robert Klein uh, assessing that, in fact, industry does match rate to risk uh, and being able to show that from a scientific point of view by looking at the NEIC's auto data. Uh, so we have that research arm that's, that's given some really great scientific basis for our advocates and for the industry to help have these conversations in the state. Uh, then we have, you know, a, a more traditional uh, public affairs type uh, prong to the effort. We've done um, talking points and one-pagers and um, messages that uh, anyone in the industry can utilize in having conversations with policymakers. Uh, we have developed sample testimony, um, sample papers, and uh, social media that can be utilized, and we packaged all of this uh step up in a way that we are really hoping and, and it has shown to be bringing uh, new assets to the conversations in the states. We're working closely with our state trade partners and our members to get that to 
toolkit in hands of everyone in the industry so that we can all be uh, in this in this conversation together and making the case for for risk-based pricing and and it's been working uh, so we're not yeah. done uh, we we certainly are adding to those assets as we go along um, but it's really been a uh, concerted effort over the last year year and a half uh, to get those tools out into the into the conversation in the state so you know what states are presenting the biggest challenges and how, how are we doing you know, I think we're doing pretty well. Uh, you know, we we have engaged that toolkit. We've worked directly with um, our members and with our state trade partners and others in the industry to make sure that the messages are getting through. So in some of the early uh, states of, of real concern, uh, like Washington, where uh, there was a, a ban bill uh, to try to ban credit-based insurance scoring, which is an important tool in matching rate to risk. Uh, similar conversation in, in Maryland, uh, we've been able to articulate to those policymakers what the value is in utilizing risk-based pricing and how that really benefits consumers. And so those conversations have resulted in, in the stalling of that legislation or the advancement of legislation that we support, which is uh, adoption of the extraordinary life circumstances language from the INCOIL model, uh, which we think is an important protection measure to go along with the credit-based insurance scoring code. So we're doing well uh, in, in the conversation. Talk a little about NCOIL, National Conference of Insurance Legislators. Uh, basically the, the um, organization that represents um, the key insurance policymakers at the state level. Uh, I know you recently testified, I watched it last week, uh, leading the industry message on their definition of proxy discrimination where that's a term that's thrown around quite a bit, but um, sometimes isn't very well defined. And you really help them um, come up with a definition that I think um, you know we can work with. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and what it means for, for the industry. Sure, yeah, happy to. So proxy discrimination is a, is a term, um, you're right, that, that wasn't, uh, and in some spaces still is not well defined. Uh, and it really started in the, in the regulatory space. And it was this concept of um, indirect discrimination. And there are two really trains of thought uh, on that. One is there are voices that articulate uh, as we would that unfair discrimination and, and part of that being proxy discrimination has to be tied to the concept of intentionality uh, and, and that that component of it is critical to, to risk-based pricing, and I can talk more about that in a minute. Another school of thought is that uh, proxy discrimination doesn't need to be intentional uh, to be unfair discrimination, and it, it those same voices start to articulate more of a disparate impact uh, or, or really even a disproportionate impact standard as being the definition of proxy discrimination. And, what I articulated to Incoil is, you know, of those two trains of thought, the reason why a disproportionate impact definition doesn't work uh, for insurance and, and doesn't work in the context of risk-based pricing is if you're only looking at outcomes and, you know, a disproportionate impact on a particular protected class, there really is no insurance factor 
that survives that standard. You know, insurance is a product by which we have to predict what's going to happen before it happens. And we have to price for that. And there is no factor that has a, you know, causation standard, which is a word that, that gets tossed around a lot in these conversations. But, you know, one thing doesn't cause you uh, to have an accident or, or to have a claim. The fact that I drive a red car uh, is, is certainly, I don't actually drive a red car, but <laughs> if I did, it wouldn't cause me to have an accident, but there's certainly, um, you know, the age of my vehicle or, or the miles I drive, all of those things correlate uh, to my risk. Um, so, you know, if you were to go down the path of what the impact of, of using an individual factor would be, there is just no, you know, insurance factor that, that really comports with that. And the only thing left in that conversation would be to really upend risk-based pricing, do away with actuarial science and try to establish, I don't know, like a universal uh, utility um, basically in place of insurance. And so it's, it's really important uh, for us as, as industry to be able to articulate how risk-based pricing works and that um, proxy discrimination, and that is using something to get to uh, another uh, factor that that would be um, impermissible. That if you're intentionally utilizing something to get to something else, that's proxy discrimination, and it's absolutely impermissible. And we agree with that. Um, so we were happy to see uh, Inquil, uh, the committee, ad adopt that um, definition, and and we think the the full Inquil body will adopt it as well. Uh, and and so we're encouraged in that effort that they've recognized that uh, there is a necessity for this conversation, but uh, that risk-based pricing is something that uh, is, is critical to insurance markets and the, and the consumers, and we don't want to um, do away with that system entirely. Right, absolutely. We're almost out of time, but I have another question, and it's related, and that is, you know, the regulatory community through the NEIC has also been on kind of a parallel, but different track. Can you give us an update on what's happening there with risk-based pricing? Sure. Yeah, I think um, they also have had a lot of discussions around risk-based pricing and this concept of proxy discrimination. We've seen it in a couple of different work streams at NEIC. Um, they, like Incoil, have a race and insurance uh, committee to take a look at these issues, and that's where a lot of these conversations about risk-based pricing are happening. There are a lot more voices uh, at NEIC in terms of, and I, and I mean regulator voices, not necessarily interested party voices, um, but a lot of regulator voices advocating for this causation concept or uh, a outcome disparate impact or disproportionate impact standard to apply to risk-based pricing. Uh, so NAMIC is, is hard at work. Uh, you mentioned uh, Tony's paper and others, but our entire NEIC team is working with our members on the rest of the industry to, again, make the, the case for risk-based pricing, why that benefits consumers. Uh, so they have not uh, reached a universal definition of proxy dis discrimination or defined it uh, clearly, uh, really, at the NEIC. We think that that is going to uh, continue through 21 and into 22, I would suspect, in uh, the different work streams at NEIC. And so we'll be working in all those spaces to make sure uh, that we're 
uh, articulating the necessity of risk-based pricing and the importance of correctly defining uh, proxy discrimination in that conversation. Well, Aaron, we're out of time. Thank you. There is nothing more important to the business of insurance than risk-based pricing and your defense of it in these various forums. It's incredibly important to our members. And I hear from them about how much they appreciate what you're doing and your team is doing. So on their behalf, thank you. And uh, thanks for the time on the podcast today. Thanks, Chuck. Really appreciate it. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We'll be back on April 7th, and we hope you'll join us then for more insurance news and interviews. And as always, keep in mind, if you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. Just send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.